Today's episode of Bitter Units is brought to you in part by the American Homebrewers Association. The AHA has a host of benefits for joining, including discounts at over 2,500 beer businesses like breweries, bars, restaurants, and homebrew supply shops in the U.S. and worldwide. You'll also get access to discounts on many brewing publications, award-winning homebrew recipes, and expert advice. Go to bitterunits.com to learn more. This podcast contains material that is intended for mature audiences and may not be suitable for all listeners. Enjoy. Oh, gotta make sure, like, there's a slight lilac care to this. And, like, it's not like coconut, it's like suntan oil. You know? Like, that's <laughs> all, all well and good, and those can be important things. Uh, but there's also the practicality part of, like, does this barrel fuck or does this barrel not fuck? And welcome to another episode of Bitter Units, a beer podcast hosted by the tailgatesociety.com. Want to let you know that we do, as we mentioned in the last episode, have our own feed now for picking up the stream. You can find us as just simply Bitter Units on all the podcast networks, so you can search us there and like, rate, review, subscribe, download, all the things that we need you to do so that maybe someday we can pay Tim for all the work he does getting us guests. And with that, Tim, we have a guest. We do. I'm really excited for this guest. John is someone that I followed on Twitter for a while, but he's someone who legacy in the Chicago beer scene already looms pretty large. He's someone with, uh, well, you know what? I'm going to let him uh, tell you a little bit more about his history, but he's done stuff from the barrel program at Goose Island to opening up Off Color Brewing, which is making some fantastic beers out of Chicago. When I told my friends who I was going to be talking to uh, that live in Chicago, then they all started geeking out about it. So they're very excited for this episode, but we are very, very grateful to be joined by John Laffler of Off Color Brewing. John, thank you very much for joining us. Welcome to the podcast. All right. Thanks for having me. And you, you very much summed up my entire history right there. So I'm <laughs> sure we're going to talk about for next. <laughs> well, thanks for coming, everybody. I guess the podcast. <laughs> you can go ahead and expand on that a little bit. We usually like to to give the guest an opportunity to talk a little bit about how they got into beer, how they got into, you know, brewing or whatever, uh, up to what they're doing today and what's going on. So, uh, yeah, take it away. Yeah, for sure. So sort of got into beer, not like accidentally, but it was, it was not my like lifelong plan to do that. Uh, I'd been home brewing for, I don't know, maybe a decade before sort of brewing professionally somewhere in that range. Um, and just never really thought of it as a career prospect. It was a fun thing that you like to do on the weekends at home. At that point, like it was much harder to get interesting beers. I mean, I'm not that old, but uh, <laughs> certainly we certainly don't have the proliferation of styles uh, that we do now. So yeah, uh, worked in a different career, like a lot of other people that get into brewing. Uh, then uh, hit a point where I just didn't want to do that anymore. Uh, I was applying for uh, sort of uh, further studies um, 
in a different field in Portland and was then, you no know, went out there with my like then living lady friend. Uh, and she's like, cool. Like if you might be going to school out here for the next six to eight years. And uh, I'm like, I'm on board. If this is what we want to do, just, you just seem so much more excited to go to like all the little brew pubs than you are like actually like going and interviewing at the schools and like seeing what the programs are. It's like, like we can do whatever, but like, if, are you sure you'll want to say, are you sure you really want to do this? And I'm just like, no, no, no. <laughs> 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 just sort of like, otherwise we often sort of get stuck in like, you know, you just put one foot in front of the other. And then all of a sudden you can end up in a, a place where it's like, Oh shit, I didn't actually plan for any of this. It's just, I just did the next thing. Um, so that, that was a really important in my life of just, asking those pertinent questions like, is this what you really want to be doing? Um, and, uh, yeah, so the next, uh, week we, I applied to Siebel. Um, that was, I am old enough that you could apply to Siebel and get in like the next week. Uh, that changed. <laughs> that certainly changed after that for a while. Uh, yeah, Siebel went on to a multi-year waiting list, yeah. uh, after that. So it was, it was fortuitous with my timing and, ah, there's a cat. Hell Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yo no, that's that's a thing, JT. I forgot yeah. to mention this to you. I uh, John's gonna want to see cats as much as you you can share. Okay, he's actually <laughs> named after a hockey player that's now in Chicago. So Zadorov. So yeah, he yeah he'll he'll be cool for a bit. Then all of a sudden he'll start attacking my headphones, and that's always fun. Yeah, yeah. Good, good cat trick. It's called a cat trick, right? I don't exactly. know about hockey. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I like it. That's a oh, good name for a beer. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Oh, God. Are we going to uh, go down so... the name and beers track again? <laughs> beer... <laughs> Brewers love their puns for beers. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, we do. So, so Siebel. Uh, yeah. And yeah. where did you go from, from Siebel? Uh, so, Siebel is where I met my business partner, Dave Bleitner. Uh, we didn't know each other before that, sort of. You had very similar palettes and mindsets and ways of thinking about beer uh, when we were going through Siebel together. Uh, and I didn't do the Germany portion. He did. Uh, mm-hmm. So he went over there and did that. Uh, at that point, I started working. Maybe I was working there before. I don't quite recall. But I worked for a super fancy liquor store here in Chicago called Westlake View Liquors, uh, which at that time was, was you know very influential in the very small Chicago beer scene. I mean, the Chicago beer scene at that point was, you know, 100 people <laughs> a uh, couple of really good beer bars and it was much smaller than, than it grew to. Uh, yeah. So I worked at West Dixie for a while. Uh, really got to know some of the people that worked through like Shelton brothers, and, you know, uh, was very much into imports and like always kind of into more like fanciful beers. Sure. Uh, and then just like, pale ale. It's just like where my palate lies. Uh, after that, um, like nobody had really opened a brewery in Chicago, uh, since like, you know, Goose Island and peace and like two brothers, like, uh, we had gone many, many years without a new brewery opening in Chicago. Uh, and then, again, just fortuitous timing, uh, two breweries opened up for the first time in a minute, uh, one being Half Acre and the other one being Metropolitan. Uh, Metropolitan makes uh, just all sort of uh, very true to style, um, made with purpose German lager beer. Um, Half Acre people, I'm sure, are much more aware of because uh, they make a lot of hoppy beer and a lot of very delicious hoppy beer. Yep. Uh, and so I met Doug and Tracy, uh, who owned and operate Metropolitan, uh, just like, you know, with working at Fobab and just like being, being on the beer scene again, which was much smaller. Uh, they were opening a brewery. We, both Dave and I had just finished brewing school. 
uh, I wanted to know more about how, how do you actually do this sort of stuff? Uh, so, so basically started interning there. Uh, yeah, that's where I learned a whole ton about how to actually operate in a brewery, you know, how to take a pump apart, uh, how to clean a tank, like that sort of basic stuff. Um, then from there, I got hired at Goose Island to sweep the floors and, and you know, scrub the outside of the tanks. Uh, did that for, I was at Goose for five years, something like that. Um, at one point, they stopped letting me scrub floors and let me start filling barrels. Uh, and then they just kind of never made me do anything else. So that was great. Um, nice. Yeah. Got work with good, some really good gig if you can there. get it. Yeah. Also, like, a lot of it was filling barrels at that point was grunt work because uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the brewing staff was kind of understaffed. Was kind of understaffed like a lot of breweries are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for them, it's like, oh shit, I have to like knock, like get three tanks spun and like make sure that we're ready for knockout and also like empty two hundred Bourbon County barrels. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I would be happy to do that. <laughs> My job is to sit here and taste each one of these and then pick which which ones I like the best. I absolutely will do that. Yeah. There is definitely an art to that, though, when when blending barrels and figuring out which ones, because, you know, not every barrel is going to age the same. And I can certainly tell from some breweries that I'm not going to name that feel like they're probably just trying to max out what they got out of barrels rather than really trying to... Uh, think about how they're, they're blending, like making a concerted effort to actually blend and taste. So I, I think that's probably something that is, is still for a lot of breweries, frankly, is, is uh, an underdeveloped knowledge or discipline. I, I absolutely concur. Um, it's a hard thing to teach somebody because um, it's so experiential. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you just ha- kind of have to have like the right people in the right place at the right time uh, with with product to, to mess around with and fuck around with. Uh, so it's always kind of difficult. And then people taste in very different ways. Uh, I like when I do branding, I'm, I'm very practical. Uh, and like I sort of taught some people over the years and especially people coming from the QAQC side and like the lab side where it's like, they're like, Oh God, make sure like there's a slight lilac character to this. And like, it's not like coconut. It's like suntan oil. And, like, that's <laughs> all, all well and good. And those can be important things. Uh, but there's also the practicality part of like, does this barrel fuck or does this barrel not fuck? And is mm. it going to work with what we need to do? <laughs> um, now, of course, I'm being very glib about that because um, I've just been fortunate enough to have enough practice over, over the years that I have a pretty good idea of what's going to work and what's not going to work. So I can do it relatively quickly. But yeah, you, you can certainly see people that get lost in the details. Um, and just like overthink it. And then you also mm-hmm. have people who are just like, I don't know, I'm just going to put this in this and see what happens. Yeah. Um, and somewhere in the middle is probably the right thing. Um, and we just have our system, which is mostly me just trying things and telling people what to do, uh, which sometimes works. Sometimes, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it doesn't work as well. As, uh, also, like, I'm super lucky because, um, like, we, we have two breweries and, I, I have basically my own brewery and then we have our production plant. Uh, so they get to sort of do their thing. Then I'd have this little playground. That I get to do kind of whatever the fuck I want, um, which again is good work if you can get it. But, so, uh, so how did you, how did you make the leap from goose Island to opening up off color? Uh, so I had a great time at goose. I learned a ton. I had a fantastic time working there. 
but after having been there for about five years or so, uh, there's some compensation stuff, which is not great, but again, that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, it was just more a matter of time. Like, it kind of felt like I'd accomplished what I wanted to there and working for somebody else. Uh, there was some, you know, upper management, like headwinds. It's like, I was not the brewmaster. I, I, my job title when I left was still brewery sanitation crew. Uh, so when the, when the actual brewmaster would be like, cool, this is what we're going to do. You know, I could hem and haw and push and, and whatnot. But at the end of the day, like, it was not my decisions to make. And mm-hmm. uh, there's some decisions which artistically just didn't fit where I thought things should go. Uh, you, you, if you look at it, like what Goose has done after I took off, uh, they made some really cool beers too, but they've gone in a very different direction uh, than when I was working there, uh, in terms of at least the, the uh, Bourbon County stuff and like the sisters stuff. Like they're a mix for beers. Yep. Uh, like a lot of my thing, especially like if we're going to talk about uh, like BCS or Imperial Stout, Asian Barrel, uh, I'm a big fan of trying to push the art forward more than just trying to make something that just tastes good. Yeah. Which I'm going to obviously go, go into a little bit more than that. Um, but like when we did Bourbon County Vanilla, and this was, again, long before people were just at buying a bunch of vanilla and putting a bunch of vanilla in things. It was like, oh, it would be kind of cool to put a bunch of vanilla in this. Cause, but the reason why being like there was already a vanilla character in that beer. Sure. Um, and this is thing that we could hype on and sort of restructure how you approach, you know, a lot of these beers have, you know, 15, 20 different things that you're tasting at once. Uh, so trying to find a little point to like have that be the focus um, and then build the other flavors around it, I think is really interesting. Um, so like when we did BCS with vanilla, uh, for the first time, like the beer tasted great. It was fantastic. It was fun to make. It was very expensive to make. And, uh, we scraped all those vanilla beans by hand and by we, I mean me and one other person. That was a fucking disaster. Uh, <laughs> but, but vanilla yeah. bean gets expensive as fuck. It seriously mm-hmm. does. Yeah. I, you know, I've done a couple of vanilla beers, uh, over the years The the head brewer before me at Badger Hill had developed this for like this brewmaster series. And his was going to be, uh, at, uh, it was not. It was a. It was a vanilla coffee stout, and he kind of came up with a with a recipe. And then he's like, "Well, I'm moving to the East Coast, so Tim, you're gonna have to finish this for me." And you know, he didn't give me a ton of direction on it. And I went to go buy the vanilla, and I was like, "Oh shit, are we going to be able to even pay for this beer?" <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like, we'll get, we'll get boxes of vanilla because we, we use it in a beer we do called Dinosaurus. Yeah, so like look at that. It's like cool. Did this box of twenty thousand dollars of fucking vanilla just get left outside because FedEx didn't like ring the doorbell? Are you fucking kidding me? Like that—that's more than my car. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so you you had kind of yeah, spent so yeah, your time at at Goose Island, and and so you you said your current business partner is someone you went to Siebel with. So it's someone that has been on this journey with you. He was, he went and worked for, uh, two brothers and did it, worked in the cellar, two brothers. Um, sure. where, well, it was like, it was, and just like part of our, part of our business plan was like, you, we should probably have some experience before you open a brewery of working in a fucking brewery. That would probably be helpful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you, you would think, however, it seems like there's an awful lot that don't. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is all 10 years ago now. So like times were, times were a little bit different. And like, 
So when I started working professionally in Chicago, there was maybe 40 uh, professional brewers in you know the Chicagoland region. Sure. Uh, so it's much harder to get a job. Uh, it was harder to like it was harder to do anything just because there was less of it. Uh, and then as you know, as the years changed and it got much easier to open a brewery, you had a lot more people who were like, well, I, it's still hard to get a job, but it's easier to open a brewery, so I'll just open a brewery instead of trying to you know sort of pay your dues somewhere. Uh, sure. So I, I, I can get how the growth metrics don't really add up, but I'm a firm believer in, you know, you should know how to do everything in a brewery, which means you have to start at the bottom and work your way up. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I feel like, you know, a lot of brewers want to spend a lot of time in the brew house, but to me, beer is made in the cellar. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like that gets overlooked on people's career, you know, career path or what they think their trajectory is. And I, I would, to me, I, I enjoyed working in the cellar way more than in, in the brew house, frankly. I, you know, I could put a trained monkey up on, on the brew house and, and probably still save a lot of that beer. But, you know, a lot of people that came in through home brewing, it was the, the brew day activities that they really cared about. Um, I, I, to me, it was, it's way more interesting what happens after it gets in the tank. But, uh, I don't know. It, it it definitely does seem like the the people that really pay attention to to that. Some of the breweries I really enjoy are the ones that are really focused on what happens after knockout. Yeah, right there with you. It's like I've never really understood the the fascination with hot side yeah. processes. Like it's like cool. So you're like slipping grain and cleaning up grain dust, and you know making sure that you know you're trying to hit your gravity is right. And then taking Imhoff cone samples. Then no one ever does anything with the fucking data from Imhoff cone samples. Yeah. One of my giant, one of my giant pet peeves is collecting data without a, without any plan or or using that data as a resource. It drives me fucking nuts. Uh, <laughs> and that happens a lot of, on the sort of the brew house and the hot, hot side. Uh, I'm a giant yeast nerd. Like that, the fermentation is for me like the most, the most magical, most interesting part of all this. Um, so I'm right there with you that, you know, I've always liked the seller side. Uh, all of our guys, like we, we, everybody rotates through everything. Cause nobody wants a package and yeah. a lot of people want to be on hot side. So everyone just sort of rotates and does everything. That's how I really like running a brewery. Uh, but again, when we built the second brewery, I thought I was really lucky cause I got my own brewery. And then after about a year, I'm like, wait, did they just kick me out of the other brewery? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about off color. So you have a production brewery, and you said your playground. What what are those two breweries like? Like how big are they? Uh, how much production goes on at both of those? We're both uh, two vessel, twenty barrel new house brew systems. Um, they're intentionally sister systems, so uh, staff can freely come back and forth between the two and know where the valves are and know how things generally work. And, that was, that was intentional. Uh, we've now been able to separate doing all of our mixed firm stuff and our sort of clean beers into the two separate breweries. Um, that's been really helpful for us. Uh, with like good practice, uh, good strategy, and good uh, cleaning, you can absolutely make mixed firm and clean beers in the same brewery for a while. And we've yeah. been doing it for a while. <laughs> uh, I don't know when a while ends, but uh, we had, at that point, uh, we only have about 8,000 square feet at the production breweries. It's not very large. It's a good mm-hmm. size. But it's not very large. Uh, and with just how our our, brewery, how our, our barrel is kind of as that ramped up, uh, we just didn't have tank space and time for me to do the sort of interesting 
mixed room beers I really wanted to do. Like, uh, if I wanted to just make Saison every day and just, you know, some people really like trying to get 2% two cent, two more efficiency or high, slightly higher yields. Like, that's just not the part of brewing that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, like, I, that's not what I wanted to, to do. Uh, Dave and I, knowing that we were not getting to do, like, the beers we wanted to do um, because of production restraints, started looking at the next step. Like, well, cool. Then you just start, then you open a second brewery, and then you scale that one up, and you keep the first one as your fuck-around brewery. Uh, started building that second business plan, uh, and then just looking at what was going on in the market at the time, it just just didn't make sense to try to go for a volume play and sort of increase the brewery fivefold, and then try to make more money by selling more barrels. Uh, so we had the maybe not very great idea of spending a similar amount of money to build a much smaller brewery. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but one that focuses more on, um, you know, the, the beers that I make out of Mouse Shop are not particularly cheap beers because they're not cheap to make and our price is very high. Um, you know, if you take something, we put it in, into a 20 year old fooder and then age it for two years. Uh, where we are, where Mouse Shop is, um, it's also our taproom location. Um, but where it is in the city, it's in a relatively expensive part of the city to operate in. Um, so yeah, things things cost more. Uh, so we have to focus more on uh, profitability rather than just volume. Uh, sure. But uh, I, I, I have a lot of people. I would just rather have more good beer than, than less good, more beer. Yeah. There is a good quip in there somewhere. I, I'm, I'm not making it, though. <laughs> 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 no. Can't all be winners. How uh, how how far apart are the the two breweries? Are they really close? Uh, we're about fifteen minute drive. Oh, okay, uh, so, that's not too bad. Yeah, then. it's not not a big deal. We have a box truck, so we just we could drive back and forth and bring product uh, between the two. It's really not that big a deal. Uh, it's pain in the ass, and it's like, oh shit! Like I I need this one spanner that I don't know. I only have one of like we only have one bulldog for a minute. Like uh, we bought a uh box for production, but then they were still like to use like the ZOM to just do quick carbonation checks. Like, yep. well, now I'm just constantly like, oh shit, like on your like on your way, on your way in, can you grab the ZOM at the other brewery and bring it over and then I'll drop it off. Like there's a whole bunch of that sort of stuff. Um, sure. But over, over time, you like, ZOM still costs $2,000 for no fucking reason. Uh, but yeah. eventually. Like, yeah. So JT and Aaron, uh, ZOM and Nagel is this, device for measuring carbonation you take a sample uh you shake it and it measures temperature and pressure and then tells you how many volumes of co2 you have in there and then there's other devices that cost a lot more money although the zom is definitely way more expensive than i I think it would be for for what the device is but then there's another thing like anton parr makes a thing called a c box where you just run it through and press buttons and it does the same the same measurements they don't they don't uh, agree necessarily, so you have to you have to uh, figure out what that delta is if you're going to try to use them interchangeably. They're not perfect, um, but that's what he's talking about when he's he's talking about um, things like that. And so you know, a zom is just I don't know. It's it's a foot long. It's not you know, it's not that big a deal uh, to two two valves and the. Uh... A thermometer and a pressure gauge, and you yeah. shake it. Yeah, but for whatever reason, Zamanagel is the one who has the corner on this thing, and anyone else who's ever tried to make one, whether it be Tapright or whoever, it's just not been 
as adopted as this omnagle. So, you know, it does require some precision engineering, and I suppose that's part of the thing too. But um, well, cool. I guess the one other question I was gonna ask about this then. So the, the whole kind of conceit of this podcast is that Aaron's a dummy, JT's a uh, a beer fan. Aaron's just a dummy about a lot of things. Yeah, um, I can't uh, refute that. Uh, but like, you know, JT really enjoys some really good uh, IPAs, like you know, uh, chocolate stouts, things like that. Aaron's palate has actually really developed over the last year of doing these podcasts, but his whole thing was that things taste like beer. Uh, so I'm really excited for the beers that you sent us, and we'll get into them in a minute just because it's going to really kind of push uh, the experiences these guys have had. But how would you describe the like, – how would you describe off-color and like your philosophy behind making beers? Uh, we try to make uh, thoughtful uh, beverages with the idea that we're trying to push push the art forward. And kind of conceited way of putting it, uh, but we're we're very fermentation focused, uh, and just again trying to put thought into the the beers that we do make. Uh, like like we make we make dry hop pilsner, and we have will continue to because I drink it, uh, but. Like really the heart of it is just trying to have a, a intense focus on the beer itself, uh, but not necessarily in a, like there's some breweries who do that through a technical quality way. Uh, we tried to look at it through more of an artistic lens. And hopefully when we try our, our little 250 beers in a, in a minute, that will make more sense and sound less conceited, but. It no, a, I, it, would, it makes a lot of sense. Cause yeah. you go back and, and think about who we just had, actually the pod we just released Taryn is a engineer by trade. So the processes and all of those things are, you know, he's really into that part of it. Um, and you seem to be on the other end of that spectrum, although he made really great beers that weren't exactly normal compared to what we've, you might think. Um, so yeah, it makes total sense. Not conceited. It's just multiple ways to skin a cat really. Um, don't be skinning any cat. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, because that's, it's valid, right? I mean, somebody's got to try to push, like I said, the tastes and everything, the art forward. And then somebody's got to make really solid beer that people are going to drink. And that's just the way it goes, because it's not very often that really artful, great things happen by accident. You have to think about it and put put the thought into it and all that. So, I mean, I, I absolve you of any conceit in that statement. <laughs> well, uh, well, one of the things I love about craft beering and just being in the industry as a whole um, and, and the people in it is it is honestly like a, it's a big tent party. Um, oh. And you know, there's sort of enough in brewing and in the industry that whatever your sort of niche and the thing that really is like interests you, there's something, there's a job in there for it and people that will surround you and, can build a whole community in that. Uh, you have people that are really into the, the yeast science. You have people that are really into, uh, I don't know, just doing QAQC and taste panel stuff. Uh, and then you have people who like really, like really get down on like I shaved, I shaved off uh, six pounds of malt on this brew, and but that, that six pounds of malt times five times three hundred sixty adds up to real money. Uh, so like whatever your interest is, like you can find something in there. Uh, 
so we can and we can all at the end of the day sort of sit down and have a beer and like talk about the things that we interest us and have enough of cross knowledge that yeah I'm rambling. No, that's that's perfect. It oh. saves us from having to ask more questions. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't there wasn't there a brewery that had the hashtag that or their phrase was beer is art, or am I dreaming that up? I'm sure <laughs> there, there mu- was. There might have been might have been one here in Des Moines actually that their thing was beer is art, and I'm like I actually like that. So, yeah, I I think there is it, it's with anything there's if there's craftsmanship to it, there can be art artistry to it as well. So I mean like a painting or even woodworking or you know people who do remodels and houses like that there's the really cool stuff and there's the stuff that takes it to another level where it's an art form and i don't think that's i'm with aaron on that i don't think that's conceited at all i actually find that's kind of noble that like yeah everyone's doing this but you come over here and have something completely different you may or may not like it may not be for you but those who appreciate it will really appreciate it to a certainty that maybe others won't but it almost makes it better that makes sense yeah certainly like we've had a lot more success I think being a niche brewery. Um, so we have the people that really dig what we do um, and are very, very supportive of us. I think we have more success doing that and like sticking to our, our sort of ethos than we would if we tried to be everything to everybody. Like um, yeah. we still have, we, we have technically made one paleo in our entire existence because um, we are, we are shocking idiots and do not know how to make money. that was something that i wanted to bring up because it seems like so many breweries it's almost impossible to go to a brewery and not see multiple pale ales ipas on we at badger hill we used to get knocked by people because they're like oh they only had two ipas on and i'm like why why is that not enough how many ipas do you need but you know, then again, I talked to to the current head brewer there, and the last last week, the top three selling beers were all IPAs. So yeah. you're right; it's definitely one of those things. Like, well, I guess we don't, we don't want to make money, so we might as well be niche. <laughs> you, you gotta have you gotta have at least four IPAs for the idiots like JT who order flights. Yep. <laughs> oh, we don't do we don't do flights. Yeah. We don't we don't have TVs. You can bring children in the tap room. Oh man, yeah. Anything you don't like, we'll, we'll that's what we do. I was gonna say this is this is hitting on all the the beer Twitter hot topics right there. <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, no I'm flights, ab- no IPAs. I'm absolutely gonna have to borrow a flight from one of the breweries I go to and bring it here and drink it on a podcast and stare at Aaron the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> Just order a whole beer and drink it. Uh, then hopefully have a server have a server come by and be like, I don't remember which of these sixteen little cups is which. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, oh that's that's funny. Um, Actually, I had a buddy at uh, Old Chicago once to decide to do a flight. He's like, I can do any beer I want. She's like, yeah, okay. I take a Coors Light, and then he did a six-beer flight that was all Coors Light. But he made a big production about it. He's like, I'll take a Coors Light. Ah, <sighs> uh, Coors Light. And, but yeah, he drove it, out, drove it out out for like two minutes. She's like, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. I don't care. So what so, you're saying is that I you're friends with an asshole. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> I would have left that table. <laughs> you got to respect the commitment to a bit, though. 
It might be a shitty joke, but it's my shitty joke, and I'll see it through. <laughs> well, speaking of shitty jokes and bits, we have two beers to drink, but we also have a question that we ask every single person that comes on the podcast. Um, so we're going to ask you that now before we get into the beers that we have from you. Um, and that is you're marooned on a desert island. You have somewhere between three and five beers that you absolutely have to have with you. What are they? Uh, Beer, High Life, and Alpha King. Wow. Wow, that was quick. Stand, stand by those. I also have to do these sort of uh, write about a beer that you love. Things <laughs> relatively often, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, but chuck another one up for High Life. Yeah. Oh, you gotta have High Life, yeah. I love High Life. Yeah. But it's, it's on... 80% of the people we talk to's lists, probably. Allagash I mean, White as well. Yeah, for sure. That's a big one. Uh, so. Terrace Bulba, I'm sure, is up there for a lot of people. Uh, Coors Banquet's been up there a couple times. Sure. Uh, Alpha King, though, I, that's a that's a good addition to that as well. Um, I, don't, I don't know that one. That's a three Go figure, the, the, the dummy doesn't know it. So. Oh, yeah. Well, it's 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 three Floyds. I don't think you get three Floyds out in in uh, Washington. No, I don't know. I don't. They're reckon. they're a Greater Chicago Land, Indiana brewery. Is that a, a good way to put it, John? Yep, a Chicago brewery that just happens to be in Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it in Gary, Indiana? Is, it... <laughs> Is that right on the border? Something like that. Yeah, Gary. Yeah. Indiana's a state that exists, and that's about the nicest thing I can say about it. JT's oh. <laughs> going after Indiana today. Um, oh, man. So with, with that, we're going to chop up here and take a, a quick break here from our sponsor. We'll take five minutes and go grab these beers. So we come right back after you hear from our sponsor, Deadeye Barbecue Sauce, the best goddamn barbecue sauce in the known universe. We'll be right back. Back when I started Deadeye, I knew I wanted to innovate the barbecue game. Since day one, we've offered a premium barbecue product unlike anything else on the market. Great Aunt Irene had something special tucked away on a recipe card in her cupboard, and there was no way we weren't going to do something about it. So we decided to take it one step further, introducing Deadeye Superfood Barbecue Sauce. We've got five new flavors, graviola, acerola, pink guava, acai, and dragon fruit. They're the first of its kind, and they're packed with flavor. Find it at your local grocer today or at deadeyebbq.com. Welcome back. We have two, for the second time in a row, two beers that we're going to drink tonight. Uh, obviously both from John and off color. Um, and I'm going to let John decide which one of these two beers he wants us to start with. I would probably go with Gator time. A little more delicate. Gator time made with real Gator. Oh yeah. Actually, actually <laughs> I dig the fact he lists what malt to use, what hops to use. And well, I guess they're not secret ingredients now, but I kind of like what you got going on here. And that's a badass drawing on it too. You're talking about the art. I like the artwork. Thanks. Oh, yeah, we're, we're a big just... fan of telling people like good. I don't think good brewing comes from having secrets. Uh, so we're always been very open with how we make beers, what we put into them, the yeast that we use. Uh, 
oddly enough, working with the with the feds and the TTB, it's we have more label issues because we tell people information than if we just shut up. Like there was our labels would get passed through more often. Yeah, but. isn't isn't that backwards? Like if you're going to put any information, then you have to be like really precise. But if you don't put it on there, you, it could be whatever. It can be like, whatever. Yeah. Right. Right. Like if you if you put. Uh, ABV on there, for instance, JT, you have to be within 0.3. But if you don't oh, put, a, but if you don't put ABV on your can, you can it can be whatever you want. Yeah, I thought you had <laughs> to put ABV on a can. You don't have to. By state. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and so it's it's one of those things that, um, I. It's just goofy that the the birds like like off color that are putting all these things on there, um, you know, including secret ingredients. Do, do uh, the TTB ever get uh, annoyed with your secret ingredients? Almost every time. Once <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so once we had to change uh, secret ingredients to secret techniques because whatever dumb shit we put on there. They're like, that's not an ingredient. That's a technique. I'm like, fine. I will meet you halfway. <laughs> like, that's not what we meant. Like, yeah, well, I was just, I was just uh, uh, listening to something where they were like, it's made with this and this and this and love. And they're like, you can't put love on there. Yeah. Who says you can't do that? The printers or? The Fed. The, the Fed. The oh, oh, okay. The no oh, fun zone. <laughs> Yeah, uh, absolutely. There used to be one guy who approved uh, every uh, beer label, uh, and like whatever he had his own peccadillos. Uh, whereas a lot of this is inter- interpretation of the re- reviewer. But, like over the years, like you learned like what was going to set him off, like what he would allow, like what he, what he thought the rules were, and then he retired and got replaced by a team of I don't know eight other people, uh, and it's not necessarily been a disaster because you can have done a lot faster sometimes. Uh, but the interpretation is just wildly different by it depends on who's like reviewing your label. Um, yeah, even he, at the state it. level, the the alcohol and, and gaming enforcement people, you call one person one day and ask a, a question, and they give you one interpretation, and then you call another and you get a different one, and you're like, okay, that's the one I want to go with, and that's <laughs> what I'm going to choose. <laughs> can I please get that in writing so when someone else gets mad at me, I can I can show that you're the one who said I could do this. um yeah well yeah and you can you can thank uh alcohol for solving government shutdowns because as soon as you can't get beer shipped out because there's no label approval then the government works really quickly to to get that rectified (laughs) so all right so look we'll go ahead and go through john we typically do the the appearance aroma Mouthfeel, taste, finish type of, of way to go, but we don't get too serious about it. But I'll usually have Aaron and JT kind of talk through, first of all, what they're seeing with, with this beer. So this is Gator Time, uh, fooder fermented wild ale, re-fermented with cherries. Uh, what do you want to say about this before we, we taste this thing, John? Uh, this is, it's basically a, a wild cherry saison. Okay, perfect. So, JT, I'll start with you. What are what are you seeing as you look at this thing? It's 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 a golden color. Uh, not really orange, but definitely a gold. 
maybe a little bit of white going on there. It's definitely what I, it's definitely not transparent. You can see through it, but it's a little bit of cloudiness, which actually I kind of like in a beer. I don't mind it at all, but uh, not a ton on head of it on it when I poured it. And even still now, I don't know if that's because of the way the yeast samples were shipped to me or if it's just the way the beer is supposed to be. But, but yeah, it's not a bad thing. It's just what I'm noticing. Aaron. Uh, yeah. So I agree with everything J- JT said, uh, with the exception of when I opened mine, uh, it foamed out the top and ran down my hand before I knew it was going on. So either I set it down too hard, but there's definitely carbonation in it. So we don't, yeah. don't want people to think that it's not definitely carbonated because it is. Um, but for whatever reason, mine was extra juicy when I uh, opened it up with the bottle opener. So, but it is definitely a, you know, a golden type of color. Um, and, you know, sl- I wouldn't call it hazy, but maybe a little bit cloudy. It's not see-through. Yeah, right, cloudy so, is a better word. Yep. Right, so how about uh, aroma? I actually get it this time. Hey! JT's nose is working. Is it yeah. getting through your allergies or your allergies <laughs> clear today? I don't know what it is, but definitely I can smell the cherries. To me, my first instinct, and this was probably a wrong instinct, is it reminded me of almost maybe a wine or even a, a champagne kind of aroma to it. So very think- pleasant, but I like it. I think that's Which not is, a wrong instinct at all. I think that's a very spot on instinct. Especially uh, since his favorite beer is one of his favorite beers is a champagne of beers. It makes sense that you'd make a beer <laughs> that smells like champagne. Yeah. Um, agree. Can get the cherry smell. I get my dog's barking upstairs. Um, but I get a, it smells like other things that I've had that people have called sours. Um, it's not, there's a bit of a, I don't necessarily want to call it a vinegary waft to it, but it's not, it's not one of those things where normally I would be like, Oh yeah, this smells great because the sours are not my thing. <laughs> no offense, John. Um, but uh, that's what, that's, that's what it smells like to me. Um, but I definitely get the, the cherry aroma out of it, which is pleasant. And then I get that uh, you know, vinegary type of sour smell on the back uh, on it too. So John, do you have thoughts on what they've, they've kind of got out of this so far? Well, first off, it's not golden color. It's the color of, a, of an alligator's iris. <laughs> is that the when one Chubbs did not take yeah. <laughs> when you look in their cold eyes and see the glimmer of warmth and hope that connects us all through life it's that color uh, there's definitely uh, there's definitely like a lactic twinge to the aroma I absolutely like you, you get those sort of precursors um, I get a lot of like clementine and nectarine tangerine those are lighter uh, bright fruits on it, um, and it, underneath the cherry bits. Uh, these this uses uh, Montmorency cherries, uh, which is sort of when you think of like uh, stereotypical like cherry pie. Um, to me, like they can be honestly be kind of one note, but they have a perfumey quality that I really like. Um, I thought they matched nicely with the sort of clementine like uh, bit uh, from the ethical profile. 
then this is aged in one of our uh, 18-year-old Brolo fooders. Uh, so there's a ton of that sort of black, well, not a ton, but there's a bunch of that black cherry-like uh, wine-like uh, vineyard quality. Uh, so uh, some of my favorite beers, I, I love how delicate it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's some acidity, there's some fruitiness, but everything is kind of in balance and just sort of subtle. Uh, so I, don't, I really like it. So, so this is probably, I, I think this is our first uh, fooder aged, fooder fermented beer. I don't think, Aaron JT, we haven't talked about what a fooder is. No, I was, that no was the next question I was going to ask because I have no idea what that is. It's a really big wine barrel. Uh, so this is a, it's 58 hectoliters, which is about 1,500 gallons um, oh, for re- a reference point. Um, oh. I mean, the, the, yeah, no, the, the thing is 10 feet tall and like, I don't know, 12 feet wide. Uh, so they're, they're, they're large. They hold uh, in barrels. It's I'm not going to do all the conversions. Now. It's around 40 uh, barrels yeah. or 45 maybe, uh, to be more specific. Yeah. Exactly. It's whatever 58 times point, 0.85 is. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, this large barrel, so they held uh, uh, Borlo is an Italian, a Northern Italian wine. Uh, it's kind of like a Cabernet, like a, like a super deep uh, tannic thing. Uh, has a lot of black cherry and tar-like qualities. Age for there's some age statement stuff that goes on with it, and uh, I don't. We, we were lucky enough to get some of their fooders. And there's a whole story about how they kept selling us more of them, uh, but you know, the fooders are just really big wine barrel. Yeah, and so you think about this. It's it's wood, so it's a porous surface. So it's taking on a lot of other characteristics that it then imparts on whatever you put in there. So it's not like stainless, which is a you know a fresh, tasteless vessel each time. It's that that it's imparting something uh, from what was in there before. Right. So yeah, so you're definitely gonna get a lot of that that character uh, in that as well. So let's go ahead and do the we just do. Taste, mouthfeel, and finish all kind of in one. So what are you guys getting there? Aaron's going back for a second taste. JT, what are you, what are you thinking while he's doing that? Definitely get the sour, sour saison. The sour's got a bit of a delayed kick to it. But it actually tastes exactly like it smells, which I kind of enjoy. Because when I first smelled it, I'm like, oh, this is going to taste delicious. <laughs> and it does. So you so you weren't disappointed. That's good. No. Um, now there's a couple times I've had beers where you get like, oh, this is gonna be awesome, and then it goes in a completely different direction. Nah, but no. Definitely taste the cherries. I can definitely now that they mention it where this has been aged in something with the wine, and I definitely he said it was had to it was with Cabernet, correct? Uh Barolo, but that's like a Okay. That is, is like an Italian cab. Yeah. Okay, Italian cab. Okay, yeah. You definitely get a little bit of the darker cherry flavor to it, which I like because that's the type of wine I drink anyway when I do drink wine, which isn't often. But yeah, it's really good. I, and I'm, I'm someone that has always kind of liked sours. Sometimes sours just go a little bit too into the sweet tarts territory and you're just basically drinking candy. But I like this because it's nice and balanced and you feel it in your cheeks, but it's not painful. And to me, that's kind of like perfect for a sour. Uh yeah okay, um, I I see where it's a saison in in that I get that bubbliness on the sides of my tongue and 
and all of that from the mouthfeel side of it. And, and it's a bit dry, like the tip of my tongue, the front, I don't know, third or so is, you know, dried out and I can really, it lingers there. Um, which is nice. It's, it's, you know, the mouthfeel is really, really nice. Um, taste wise, yeah, I get the, the fruitiness to it and stuff, but it's still, to me, still very heavy, um, acidity or, you know, sour taste to it. Um, which maybe a little more so than I would, would prefer personally, but I get why it's a Saison based off of, you know, the mouthfeel and that it has those characteristics like DuPont does that effervescent bubbliness to it. Um, that just kind of comes out once it gets into your mouth, which is one of the reasons I really love Saison like DuPont, but, um, yeah, so it's for a guy who doesn't like sour type stuff very much. I I can drink this. That's what I can say. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> you know, also, Aaron, you, you use. Remember, the, I've been the, doing this for ten years. Oh, sorry, I've been doing no, this ten years. So you're not going to hurt my feelings. No, <laughs> you know, and we, get we get criticized all the time. So no, no, and I mean, I I don't have the authority by any means to say whether it's good or bad, you know, from a style standpoint or any of that, I don't have any of those qualifications to be a judge of anything other than what it is to me. So, you know, I don't feel bad about it. It's just what it is to me where it's going to be different to JT and, and Tim, and that's part of the experience. So, you know, uh, I oftentimes have a hard time finding the words that I want to use, you know, when it comes to some of this stuff because of the, it's different, you know, to me and what I taste is different. And then I kind of have to think on how I want to say it, but it's not because I'm, you know, feel bad about it or whatever. It's just trying to explain it and make it make sense. Yeah. You have a hard time making things. make sense. (laughs) (laughs) It it takes a while to develop the vocabulary of like aroma vocabulary. And like, I distinctly remember like getting into beer, like the uh, buddy, uh, we had kind of into beer like a little bit before I did. And he, he was like, I remember he was drinking a, a Bell's Two Hearted. I remember dumb shit like this. Uh, and he's like, oh, there's like a cool like cherry note. I'm like, there is? <laughs> so it's like, hops. Um, yeah, I mean, I like, make- the two most overused words in beer are are hoppy and spicy. Because, like, hoppy, what do you mean? Do you mean herbal? Do you mean floral? Do you mean fruity? Do you mean dank? Like, what do you mean? Or then spicy, do you mean peppery? Do you mean, like, cardamom? Like, what are you... They're, they're these generic things that I get why people can't figure out how to talk about them. And so they become these default things. But hoppy and spicy can mean a lot of things. And it just becomes this this kind of catch-all thing. Um, you know, when you when you drink these things... And, you know, you talk about the acid in there. And that's what I really like about this is, like, it's not acetic, um, but it's definitely tart. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, better, right? definitely a better way of putting it is tart. Have, yeah. But, yeah. Right? right? Uh, but this this thing is really delicate, which I really like. It's not – it it's, to me, uh, there's definitely a deft hand with those cherries. Sometimes cherries can be uh, – it's easy to get carried away with them, I guess, is what I would say. Uh, and this, I, I think, uh, shows a definite more deft hand. So I, I, that's what I really appreciate about this. 
in, in my opinion, uh, you can absolutely overdo cherries and you can misblend cherries. Um, when you do too much, like it gets like Robitussin quality. Right. Uh, like, these, these are Mount Morenzi's or Mount, uh, so they're really like perfuming a bit. bit. Uh, Ballantine is like one of the other major cherry types. Uh, those have like a cinnamon quality to them. Uh, and I find that can be really overpowering if you use that too much. Um, so we do a Creek, uh, which is much more cherry heavy because it's meant to be more cherry focused. Uh, and then that's it. But definitely the, the blend of the cherries that go in there absolutely matter because uh, cherries don't taste the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've all had sort of Robitussin-y cough syrup like beer with like a, too much like a vinegar quality. And like Dutch Estate Beyond, or however you pronounce it, is, is great, but there's a lot of beers that try to be Duchess, and they are not as great. Yeah. I, no, I, hey, I've, I've made cough syrup vinegar beers with cherry. It's not... Uh, oh, I have too. It's, I just, yeah, it's do, not an easy ingredient to work with. <laughs> like, uh, one of the things I like about talking with like newer brewers is people are like, oh, we never dump beer. I'm like... I kind of judge a brewery about how much beer they dump. Like if you judge too much, if you dump too much, that's, that's a thing. But um, I think you should be taking, in my opinion, you should be taking some risks, uh, just trying to push things forward and trying to try things that make you a little bit uncomfortable where you don't know what the answer is. Because uh, either you might make something which is fantastic or you may end up with something which is not fantastic. Uh, but then you should dump, you absolutely should not sell that. Yeah, no, when, when, People are afraid to dump. Like, I don't want to say dumping is a badge of honor because you screwed up, but you should be proud that you're you're not just trying to pass yeah. that shit onto the consumer. Uh, <laughs> you know, have some standards. It's, it's kind of an easy, trite thing to say, but but and sometimes it, it sucks because you know that you probably could sell that thing um, because maybe your consumers don't know better. Uh, to me, it's always like, well, oh, you're taking advantage of consumer ignorance. That's called fraud. Like, I, I know it's not really in the you know legal definition there, but very well, unethical. Yeah, yeah. And is like, that the type of consumer you want to be making beer for? Well, I mean, the, if you're trying to make money, maybe. Yeah, but, but, but yeah, really, no, you're yeah. Right. yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, there's been a bunch of breweries that. You know, if we got their hand caught in the cookie jar with you know wildly mis- misrepresenting their ABVs, um, and uh, you know just dumping spirits and things instead of aging them in barrels, like it happens. Uh, yeah, we're all kind of nice and don't try to talk about that too much, but it certainly happens. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I I think we need to be a little bit more. About cheer. <laughs> I, I I early. In my time at Talia Society, I, I wrote an article about when beer is no longer beer, and I called out some of those practices, and I actually linked to specific beers. I tend to not try to bite the hand that feeds me, but that one I felt like some of them needed to be. It was a little too egregious. That Like, come on. Like, you know, if your stated ABV is 7 and it's coming out at 3, there's a problem. <laughs> but, you, but you blended it by half with fucking fruit. Yeah, exactly. In the bright tank. It's yeah. like, well, I don't know. I'm not sure how to figure out the ABV between, like, if you're off by, like, 0.4, like, whatever. I, that's not what we're talking about. But if yeah. you're saying it's 8, and the beer was originally 8, but then you cut it in half with non-alcoholic fruit juice, I don't know how we could possibly figure out through math what, what the ABV <laughs> would be. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it's not like you need an alkalizer to figure that 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 shit out. But <sighs> all right, awesome. Uh, well, I'm gonna take a sip of of this pills I have as a little kind of palate cleanser, and then let's jump into uh, the second one. Um, before we we hop into the second one, what John? Do you want to say anything to kind of? Sure, it's called uh, Pear Rainy Renard. Um, Rainy Renard means uh, Queen of the Foxes or King of the Foxes. It's, it's, I'm not entirely sure of, of which one. Uh, this comes out of a uh, Calvados Fooder. Uh, this is a 34 hectoliter Calvados Fooder uh, that we pulled out of the, I don't know, like Calvadoseria. I don't know what the fuck they're called. It's a distillery uh, in the Normandy region of France. Uh, it is two thirds. Uh, Farmish brown ale. Uh, Farmish brown ale is very similar to a Farmish red ale, but they don't ship you all the malt that you ordered. Uh, so <laughs> a little bit off. Thank you. Like, like somebody will get that joke eventually. I, I keep trying it. Uh, no, I'm, uh, I, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So yeah. So <laughs> Farmish blondish sort of ale. Uh, so yeah. Uh, gets fermented. Uh, the two thirds gets fermented with like wild yeast. Or, and then we blended with, uh, the first iteration got blended with native fermented apple juice. Um, so just fresh apples, not sulfided, not pasteurized. Uh, wait until it started bubbling and then push that in. Uh, this one uses uh, pure juice instead of apples. So when you say native yeast, is that adventitious yeast from the pears? Is that from the food or is that both? Is that something you've inoculated? All of the uh, above? This is both. For us, okay. uh, when we use native, when we use the term native yeast, and again, it's just a term that we use. Other people can define it however they want. Uh, how we use it is a is a wild yeast sourced directly from nature. Um, so spontaneously fermenting apple cider, uh, we've harvested like uh, the yeast, like powdery yeast off of fruit skins before. You can sort of just harvest that, grow that up. Um, for us, those are native yeast, as opposed to what we what we call wild yeast, where it's like, oh, I don't know how or whatever the fuck is in this like one barrel. Uh, but I can put more beer in it and then prop that up and then use that to inoculate this wild because it's not domesticated. We don't know where the yeast came from. But I don't consider that native because it's not directly from nature. Sure. Sure. Yeah. A lot of navel gazing, but I mean, we live in a world where, and not, not to be uh, like too pedantic about it, but we live in a world where people have these ears and they sound like, oh, this is a sour. And like, yeah. part of our thing is like, you yeah, know, all wild beers are not acidic. Uh, mm-hmm. and, Sour is is a flavor descriptor. Um, it's like I, I refer to them as beers with acidity, and then we can talk about how much acidity is in them. Uh, when they get lumped into this term of like, oh, this is a sour, and very much and very quickly on the consumer mind, in my opinion, uh, just goes to like, well, this is more sour than that one, so that's better. Like, mm, I, I don't like high acid things. Uh, some of my other some of my brewer friends make fun of me for having. Uh, by not making more acidic beer. Like, when people want it, like, oh, I want to make it. Well, and people are always, you know, thinking about pH instead of titratable acidity and, and, you know, aspects like that. You know, a lot of people lump, you know, a lactobacillus inoculated beer with a Britannomyces beer. Like, you know, there's a lot of other... Uh, nuance together that yes, you could maybe just generically say I don't know funky or I I don't know what you would say, but um, no, I like that that the whole idea of adventitious yeast from from pears or or apples. What I always 
was the excuse I always used when people asked why I didn't make a cider. That's because I didn't want that adventitious yeast in, in my cellar, but that was really just because I didn't want to make a cider. Um, well, awesome. Let's let's go ahead. Uh, JT, Aaron, why don't you want to do kind of that appearance sure, and aroma? I'll, I'll start this time. Yeah. Um, so it is. Uh, he, John said it earlier, you know, apple juice. Um, it is kind of that color, that that golden reddish, maybe very light red, but an apple juice type color, a little bit cloudy. Um, I've got a nice a uh, bit of lacing uh, foam on the sides of the glasses. I tilt it back and forth. It kind of hangs there and, and hangs out. Um, Good job cleaning yeah. your glass, by the way. Well, you know, I try. <laughs> uh, that is kind of what I do professionally. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. You should you should know how to clean glassware. Yeah, I should. Uh, uh, JT, what are you... What are you seeing? What are you getting? It's it's a little bit darker than the it's a little bit darker in color than than the uh, than the Gator Time. Uh, definitely, as we've said before, it looks like beer. Uh, maybe a little bit of orange juice color flavor, not flavor orange juice color to it. Definitely a lot cloudier than the last beer. Uh, mine's got a little something going on, like some lingering smokiness in there, but it looks good. Yeah. So what do you what do you just jump right in on aroma then too? I definitely get the pear smell initially, for sure. Uh, and another word that immediately came to mind, right or wrong, was dank, which can be taken either way. But yeah, I definitely get that pear <laughs> fruity smell to it for sure, and that's pretty much the main thing I get from the aroma. Aaron, uh, yeah, I, I definitely do get the fruitiness. I don't know that I would have placed it as pear. Um, it's kind of like a candied pear type of thing, like, yeah. like a pear yeah. dessert type of thing, right? There's some, some yeah, there's some sweetness to it that I wouldn't have called pear, um, which is you know maybe what you're like what you're talking about. I don't think it it's not as to me aroma wise it's it's actually not as pungent as the Gator Time was in the tart acidy soury smell whatever you want to call that i don't smell it as much in this one as i did the last one if that makes sense which probably doesn't <laughs> no, no I, again whatever you're getting is what you're getting i like to just tell you you're wrong because it's fun to tell you you're wrong but you're not really wrong yeah well, uh, i don't have i don't have your debatable. taste buds and i'm grateful for that because you have terrible taste but it's still <laughs> it's still not wrong i like high life so it yeah. can't be all bad. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, cool. Well, uh, how about let's just jump right into to taste, mouthfeel, and finish. John, while I'm, I'm tasting this, I have a question on the food. Is that part of where the dryness comes from in these? Because it's a red type of wine, which are typically drier uh, that it comes out. Is that a add to the dryness feel? Uh so this comes from a Calados scooter. So Calados is a distilled apple, hard apple cider. Oh, um, oh okay. It's the last one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, these beers, in my opinion, do tend to be dry and add uh, because if there's a residual wine character uh, for other fooders or other barrels uh, that can actually add a, add a tannic quality, which has a drying, like 
especially like um, in the mouthfeel drying way. Um, so that absolutely can be a thing. And this is a relatively tannic beer, even though it's from Calvados. Um, yeah, I get, I'm going to jump into this, but now that you say that, right, I get that this is almost more like a, to me, a dry red wine type of taste, um, which is very rare for me to drink wine. But if I drink wine, I like very dry, peppery red wine type of stuff. Um, and this is much closer to that than the last one was the tanniny that I actually, Tim might be shocked if he hears me say this. I like this one a lot better than the last one. I assumed you would. And I'm really, (laughs) I'm glad to hear it. I'm not shocked, but that's kind of where, where I figured you would, you would land on this one. It's a more forward taste it's stronger you said the other one was milder this is stronger but it's more it's stronger in the things that i i like you get that i get that pear fruitiness especially on the back end as it goes down my throat i I get that taste of it um so yeah no this is the preferred of the two for me that's right because this is much more acid and like a, in my opinion, like a harsher acid profile than the other one. But yeah, one of the things I love about beer is everyone has their own palates, and I think everyone is equally uh, adept to talk. I'm not equally adept to talk about, but you know, if, <laughs> if you buy a beer for twenty, if you, if you buy a beer for $20, you're, I'll listen to your goddamn opinion. <laughs> and, and I think the thing about it is, yes, this has more acid in it, like you're saying, or more acidic qualities but i think it also has more flavor of the other things which balances that out more there's, there's more pear in this compared to the cherry the cherry and the other, and the other. so yeah. I, I plus cherries are naturally tarts kind of in in flavor yeah so i think that's the difference is that i get well i still get that tart acidity out of this i get all the other things to help balance that out more so so it's just got a little more more punch, more flavor to it. To I think is probably the difference. You, you get a, a robust acidity and barnyard funk, leading to a sparkling body with rounding tannins, a flourish of baking apples and pear tartlets. That is wow! Exactly I was just what gonna was say that. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say John has a lot of fun writing uh, beer <laughs> descriptions. Um, well, oh, I mean, so Aaron, you were sorry, talking about. I, I was, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, the finish is a long, elegant affair of long spices, malic vinmuso, and a whiff of the memory of a pear, like the flash of a tale of a fleeing red fox. Oh, Jesus. If you're going to make me write beer descriptions, I'm going to write beer descriptions and just go oh, for it. So, oh, yeah. I, I love right. it. Well, Tim's yeah. no, having flashbacks of an earlier episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, Deschutes, we had Neil Stewart from Deschutes on, and he was reading some of their descriptions. And I don't think their tongue is, is as firmly implanted in the side of their cheek as yours is when you're writing beer descriptions. <laughs> um, yeah, that's... Oh, my God. Oh. Uh, JT, do you have anything to, to add on this? 
Actually, it's kind of funny you mentioned palettes because I actually like the first one better. My palette, I like the tart a little bit better. I think this one's a lot more complex and there's a lot more going on there. Um, the two, first two words that came to me were there's definitely the fruity flavor and there was definitely the dry. Like we said again, the dry red wines, which I'm actually on board with Aaron. I like the dark red wines. I'd, why would I, if you're going to drink wine, might as well have bold flavor and enjoy it instead of getting some white, crappy, barely flavor stuff, seltzer crap. But uh, but no, I enjoy it. I just like like I like this one, and I love the other one. Like the one, the Gator Time is honestly, I'm gonna say one of the best beers I've ever had. is fantastic for my palate, and this one is very good too. So I could definitely drink these often, and life would be pretty all right if that happened. Pretty all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you you both I'll, mentioned. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah, you both mentioned dry, and I kind of wanted to get at this. So, uh, you know, seven point eight percent alcohol. You know, you're gonna get that that alcohol sweetness there, but it's got to finish out. It's got to finish out at like one play-doh, right, John? Oh, this is this is off the top of my head. It's probably point four. Point four play-doh. Okay. Yeah. Right. It might so, even be point two. Yes, way dry. Yeah. Right. So so. Aaron, you're starting to, to do homebrewing. You're starting to learn a little bit about that. You're doing specific gravity, right? So like one Play-Doh would be like 10.04. You've not made a beer that finished at 10.04. Yours are finishing at like 10.10, right? So. Yes. Yeah. So, so you know, if this is going to finish at like 10.01 then or like 10.0, right? Like it it's, might be. Actually, it might be zero. Yeah. It might be zero. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. That so that's what you, you to give you kind of a frame of reference when you talk about dry and where that's coming from. It's that that full attenuation. What is Plato? For those of us who aren't familiar, oh, he's a <gasps> philosopher. <gasps> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's good so friends with Socrates. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Plato's measure of sugar is one percent sucrose by weight, I believe. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Cool. It's the same as a brick. Are you familiar with the brick scale? Uh, I mean, come on. No. <laughs> Are you talking uh, like JT the brick? <laughs> uh, okay. Well, awesome. No, I really, I really, really dig this one. This is one where, um, because yes, it has more kind of that acid bite, but it's that acid bite, not that like puckering in the side of of the cheeks type of thing. That I would drink probably more than my fair share of this, and at seven point eight, could be. Oh my goodness, Aaron, what do you have going on in your house? <laughs> Domino's just got there. Yeah, apparently. Or uh, DoorDash. But yeah, no, I I like that that uh wait, did you say DoorDash or Jordash? And did he get I said DoorDash. Oh, I thought he was getting some acid acid washed jeans de- delivered. <laughs> um, he's, got the, he's got the Mossimos and then no fear. <laughs> we got some Z Cavaricis coming too. Oh fantastic. He's gonna put a put Calvin pissing on something on his truck. Well, well, good. This has gone uh, usually the direction that this podcast goes, John. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad that this has been no different. Uh, no, I I really really dig this one. This is one that that if I could get it more readily, I would probably have uh, way more often. I do appreciate that this is only a a, a two fifty 
um, uh, because then I would I would otherwise just probably drink a little bit too much of this one as it is, uh, which I, I could see a young me drinking a bunch of this, say at a wedding reception, and, and then thinking you dance, hitting on everything that moves <laughs> when I was younger. <laughs> this this could. This could get me in that t- that kind of frame, I'm sure, because that's what wine does to me, and I think I'd get into the same mood with this. Would you Would you take a nap during a podcast because of this? No, no. Oh, this yeah. I would be, I'd be going all night on this. <laughs> this would be, sometimes you just get in that right frame of mind where you can drink all. You know what I mean? You just have those days where you just can go and go and go. I think this could put you there for sure, or at least me. Oh, awesome. I'm glad that, that we found these. I was, like I said, really excited uh, when you chose these two, John, because I really uh, am on a mission to expand Aaron's palette into these things. And even though I know it's not what he prefers, um, I don't care, and I like to make him drink things he doesn't like. Uh, <laughs> I mean, You sound like a dad. Until this, <laughs> until this summer, I'd never tried a sour. And the first sour I ever tried was from Russian River, and I don't even remember exactly which one it was. And it was uber sour. I mean, it was crazy. Um, And so so that set the tone of, you know, I don't like them. And then the second one I ever had was a goddamn cucumber sour I drank on our charity pod for Christmas um, from Tin Barrel. No offense, Tin Barrel, but uh, cucumber sucks. So, I mean, I just hadn't had a really great experience with acidic beers. <laughs> so, it's nice to have something different that is still in that lane at least a little bit to to ease me into it more than just throwing me into the deep end. I I want to take you to Santa Rosa, Aaron, and I want to take you to Russian River. Because I'm going to put you through your two least favorite things. You want to talk about flights. You can get uh, – they have like a, a <laughs> flight of like supplication and all you know, all of those beers. And it's not like four or six or whatever. It's like 12 beers. Oh, hell yeah. So we could sit there and have a flight of 12 wild and sour beers while eating pizza. Um, and I can just – uh, Watch you make face after face. The pizza wouldn't hurt anything. <laughs> I mean, I'm for it. I got, I've been to Santa Rosa multiple times, but I've just never had the time to go to the to spend a lot of time milling about town or go to Russian River. Um, but uh, I do like flying into that airport. It's very slow and convenient. Um, <laughs> Charles M. Schultz Airport, peanuts. So. Yes. Awesome. Uh, well, well, no, go, go ahead. ahead go, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I, John. I really appreciated both these beers. Thank you very much for sharing yeah. them uh, with us. You know, I've had a few of of your beers before, but I've never had either of these two. So it was very fun to be able to to have a couple that I haven't. Um, and again. I, you didn't tell me what you were shipping me before you shipped them, and so then I, when I opened uh, the box, you, no one was around, but I'm sure I had the silliest grin on my face when they showed up. So, uh, thank you. Shortly very much. after that, he sent me a picture and it said, "Ha ha, 
because he didn't <laughs> think I would like them at all. <laughs> but he was wrong because I like definitely like this one. The and it has the picture of a fox on it, and yeah, how can you go wrong? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah. Well, again, I want to remind everybody that uh, we do have sponsors: the American Homebrewers Association and Dead Eye Barbecue Sauce. Do patronize those. Uh, check us out on our own feed, uh, Bitter Units. Just look up Bitter Units on any podcast network um, that you uh, happen to subscribe to. Rate, review, subscribe, download, uh, so that maybe we can have Tim make a career out of this so that he can keep booking awesome guests like John. Yep. And uh, we sure appreciate you, John. I'm going to let you have the last word. Oh, I have the last word? You, oh, you can say whatever you want. You've got the last I'll, word here. I'll read you another beer description. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is, this is, I just had my file pulled out going in front of you guys earlier. Uh, but this is for our barrel-aged dino from 2020 this year. Laid away in Hunter S. Thompson's perennial darling, Wild Turkey 101 bourbon barrels. This year's uh, barrel-aged outsource sends like a dark bayou night. Rich and sultry with a deep, almost foreboding sense of claustrophobic warmth. A slow staccato, <laughs> so ridiculous. A slow staccato, <laughs> Neil Young riff, growing in and trying to a snarling, voracious crescendo of raucous bourbon, seductive brownie batter malts, and sort of impossible silky body that can only be created from extended aging, slowly coaxing intensely caramelized wood sugars from charred oak. <laughs> what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> oh. so, so my my whole bit, and this I'll, I'll leave you guys with this. But my whole bit is I'm writing these increasingly broke, like ridiculous beer descriptions. <laughs> and I'm just gonna, without telling any of my people, I'm just gonna snap one day and just write haiku and nothing but haiku for like a year. <laughs> Eventually, awesome. somebody else will write beer description for us. But yeah. Guys, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. No problem. Thanks for the amazing beer. Do you want to shout out any social media, anything like that going on? Uh, If you don't follow at Gators Daily, they have pictures of alligators. Daily. (laughs) (laughs) So, so like that. That's pretty good. Uh, I'm also trying to charge Jeremy Danner $5 a month to read my tweets. But <laughs> I'm not sure how to do that quite yet. But I'm gonna figure it out. Like, it's it's, co- it's, yeah. it's coming. Super tweets or whatever it was in yeah. the news like today or yesterday. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Dana was a guest on on this podcast, and I would actually pay five dollars to not have to read his tweets. So I think it's it's fair. <laughs> <laughs>